Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. President Obama went viral for saying that if women were in charge, the world would be a better place. And many seem to think he was expressing a new and revolutionary prospect. But he was not. For starters, he said it at a private event in Singapore a year ago this month, over three years after leaving the White House, which indicates that he was being more glib than revolutionary. But anyone truly interested in this prospect would have known that no less a reputed male chauvinist pig than Ted Turner said much the same nearly six years earlier. What's more, he said it at a public event in New York City, at an international women's summit, no less. It just so happens, though, that I was even more in the vanguard in this respect than Obama and Turner. And I need only refer you to blog commentaries like Cracking the Political Glass Ceiling, First Woman to Become President in South America, from December 2nd, 2005. Women Make Better Politicians Than Men, from October 14, 2010. And, uh, drumroll please, <laughs> Men Should Be Barred From Politics, from September 25, 2013. But enough crediting men for recognizing what has been true from time immemorial. After all, men have been making a mess of politics for just as long. Still, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the presidency of man-child Donald Trump alone provides more than enough justification to advocate for this prospect. But history is blighted with men as leaders who make him look like FDR. The point is that Turnabout would be not only fair play, but also consistent with that famous Einsteinian imperative to stop doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The impact women have had on the corporate world has provided enough data and anecdotal evidence to make credible extrapolations. Exhibit A is the correlation between more women holding positions of power and corporations implementing more family-friendly policies. Therefore, it's entirely reasonable to assert that if more women held positions of power in politics, they might focus more on human resources than military weapons, just to cite one obvious example. Apropos of which, Finland went viral in 2010, not only because women were serving as president, prime minister, president of the Supreme Court, and eight of its 11 government ministers, but also because their public service correlated with Finland being rated as the best place in the world to live. This was based on such factors as healthcare, economic dynamism, education, the environment, and overall quality of life. For what it's worth, I hailed this inexorable realization in Finland is great because women rule on December 12, 2019. But nothing demonstrated the categorical imperative for this reversal of the sexes, quite like the way countries led by women have fared during this COVID pandemic compared with those led by men. 
because no less a chauvinistic authority than Forbes magazine reported on April 19 that the leaders who prepared and responded best were disproportionately women. This, despite the fact that they make up only 7% of all heads of state. Still, for balance, it might be helpful to know that the progressive Washington Post reported the same one day later. But it went even further by hailing such women leaders as Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany, President Tsai Ing-wen of Taiwan, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, and Prime Minister Mia Motley of Barbados as the voices of reason amidst coronavirus chaos. That should settle it. But wait, there is more. <laughs> because equally glaring, and therefore telling, were the priorities the most powerful man and woman in the U.S. Congress set, respectively, to sort things out in America, where, remarkably, there was more chaos than anywhere else in the world. I'm referring to congressional negotiations to provide a second round of government assistance to the tens of millions of Americans which COVID lockdowns rendered jobless, the millions they rendered foodless, and the hundreds of thousands they rendered homeless. I'll spare you the granular details, which even members of Congress are famously loath to read. Suffice it to know that the man, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, wanted a $500 billion bill that focused not just on bailing out businesses, but on providing them liability protection from poor people filing COVID-related lawsuits. And yes, this is the same Senate Majority Leader who championed passage of that infamous $1.5 trillion tax relief bill in December 2017, which primarily benefited wealthy shareholders and corporate executives. Perhaps you recall Trump being caught on videotape, yucking it up with rich friends at his Mar-a-Lago estate a few days later, about how, in signing this bill, he had just made them all a lot richer. By contrast, the woman, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, wanted a $2.2 trillion bill that focused on direct assistance for the poor and unemployed, for childcare and healthcare, as well as for public schools and local governments. The latter, of course, was to fund such critical public services as first responders, hospital workers, and COVID testing and tracing. After four months of bickering, as COVID-related privations and fatalities soared, McConnell and Pelosi finally reached a compromise. Except that it only threw into stark relief why, if women were in charge, the world would be a much better place. Because in this version of compromise, McConnell increased his bid by only $400 billion, while Pelosi reduced hers by a whopping $1.3 trillion. They arrived at the $900 billion package, which both the Senate and the House passed by veto-proof majorities just this week. Which is why I see no point in commenting on Trump's self-aggrandizing veto. In a similar vein, though, much is being made about the unconscionable way the rich got richer during this pandemic, while the poor got poorer. And sure enough, 
women composed less than one percent of the infamous billionaires who were rolling in dough while millions were standing in breadlines. But what Mackenzie Scott did with her Pyrrhic windfall speaks volumes. The media used to refer to her as the wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Now they refer to her as his ex-wife. This even though Jeff has repeatedly admitted that she played an indispensable role in making Amazon the business hegemon it has become. That role, to say nothing of his sex scandal which caused their divorce, is worthy of an entire podcast series. But I'll leave that to others to present. The point is that, in just a few months, Scott changed what had been the focus of philanthropy for centuries. Usually men, who have always dominated this field, would dispatch a team of lawyers to negotiate the terms of their gifts with the recipient institution or charity, which invariably meant demanding that their names be plastered on the buildings of major educational and cultural institutions or on scholarship funds. This clearly to ensure that their vanity charity would not be in vain. By contrast, Scott had personal advisers contact over 350 established women and minority-led organizations, from historically black colleges to groups that run food pantries, to inform them of her wish to donate to their cause. And, without any lawyers negotiating naming rights to stroke her ego, she dispersed over $4 billion in charitable donations, ranging in each case from millions to tens of millions of dollars. In other words, for men, philanthropy is all about how much money they give to charities and how much recognition they can get for giving it. For Scott and the women who will surely follow her trailblazing path, philanthropy is all about what charities are doing and how giving money can help them do more. Period. And I hope the analogy between men in philanthropy and men in politics like McConnell on the one hand and between women in philanthropy and women in politics like Pelosi on the other is not lost on you. That said, I know firsthand the confusion and snark this prospect evokes. Therefore, I should clarify here that I do not think men should be literally barred from politics. It's just that, at this point in the history of mankind, it is self-evident that a reversal of gender participation in politics would make the world a much better place. <laughs> Granted, men have set the bar so low that women do not have to do much to raise it. Of course, I am acutely aware that some trailblazing women will feel the need to act just like men, arguably as Margaret Thatcher did. Not to mention the discouraging example women in the leadership of the Republican Party have set by acting as cheerleaders for Trump's dystopian presidency. Honesty, intelligence, compassion and creativity are the character traits we reportedly value in our leaders, and women routinely rate higher than men in all of them. Yet the vast majority of people, including a majority of women, still regard men as better leaders. Clearly, only the enduring legacy of paternity 
paternalism can explain this overweening paradox. The Pew Research Center published a study in August of 2008 that puts this paradox into very relatable context. Because in summing up their findings, researchers quipped that women in politics are a bit like a sports team that racks up better stats but still loses the game. In any event, there can be no denying that as their participation, power and influence become more the norm than the exception, so too will their natural inclination to lead by persuasion and consensus. This, instead of presuming, like men do, that might makes right. So here's to the fairer sex, not only as indispensable guardians of home and hearth, but also as preferable stewards of ships of state. Let Sheedom ring! <laughs>